Today, an update on some goings-on at the IETF. Our guest is Jeff Tansura, head of the technology strategy at Nuage Networks, as well as Russ White. Now, Jeff and uh, Russ are both uh, busy people in the IETF. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Jeff is busy as the IETF chair of Routing Area Working Group, also the chair of Routing and Fat Trees, member of the Internet Architecture Board, member of IP Stack Evolution. Russ, what can we say about you? I mean... Uh, I don't do anything. Right. <laughs> Use so I don't do anything. Chair, chair of, of Babel, Routing Area Directorate. Like I said, I don't do anything. And both of these guys are pretty well known to the Packet Pushers audience. So uh, uh, thank you for coming back. And I just wanted to get some updates on some of the technology that uh, that you guys are working in. And, and, and Jeff, starting with you, Rift, uh, routing in fat trees. Now, my understanding of this, I've watched some Nanoc presentations, read some slides uh, about Rift, and it's been an ongoing working group for a while now. And the big idea is, as I understand it, for hyperscale data centers that are using BGP, there are some shortcomings with BGP as uh, that routing protocol. And Rift is one of a number of uh, proposals that uh, address some of those issues. So could you give us uh, uh, some comments on Rift and then some status where we're at and what's going on? And uh, Jeff and Russ, just both jump in as you uh, have comments. Sure. So Rift is a hybrid routing protocol. It is link state up and distance sector down. So yes. amount of information you need to propagate decreases as you go down. If you run Rift from host, you only receive uh, default routes, plus if you need to de-aggregate, which is another unique property of Rift I'll describe. When you go up, you get all the information since it's link state, so any node that's up in the hierarchy of CLA knows what's going on down. Why we're doing it this way? Obviously, the lower in the cloud you go, the simpler your devices become, and when you get to the host, it's the simplest way, and obviously you might have one, two, four links up to the switch. Default routes are usually good enough. Exactly. So in the, the leaf node at that top of rack switch, you know, a default route is typically good enough. You have equal cost multipath, default routes when everything's up and going. Uh, but then uh, that disaggregation comment, that kind of comes in when a link goes down. Yes, so it's an interesting property of Rift. So if you read uh, Petr Lobhoff's RFC, BGP in large DC, it specifically talks about pitfalls of aggregation of routes. So if you aggregate a route and next, next hop fails, you might be black calling. What we do in Rift, due to specific properties of probably it's too deep to go now, we know exactly when next next hop fails. And based on this information, we can de-aggregate. Normally we send only default route down, but in this case we de-aggregate the route that is reachable through next next hop that is reachable, and then we will start sending traffic only then, since longer prefix. Yeah, go, go through go through the spine that's actually got a link to this. Don't yes. don't send this to a spine where exactly. the link has actually failed. Another right. interesting property we create cumulative metric of all the bandwidths available between two endpoints, which gives us ability to unequally load balance based on the bandwidth available or bandwidth configurable at any place in the clock, which is pretty unique property. Hmm. So you said, um, what, you know, the reason this is being done is for shortcomings in BGP, and I would actually say it's not necessarily, it's more around configuration and deployment issues with BGP, but it's also that a lot of people in the ITF are starting to say, hey, we just keep throwing stuff at BGP, maybe it's time we quit throwing stuff at BGP and start 
actually designing something that's specific to the CLO technology or the CLO, the, the different spine and leaf. I hate to use CLO because everybody uses CLO, but it's really not. It's spine and leaf topologies. It's Benet's, it's Butterfly, yeah. it's CLO, yes. et cetera. Um, and we just tend to use CLO as a stand-in for spine and leaf. But maybe we need to start thinking about ways of solving that specific problem. So like you said, there's a lot of proposals well, in this so space. Right, just backing yeah. up a step. In other words, because so many people are using spine and leaf, and those designs are there, whether it's you know, three-stage, five-stage, right. you know, very large, seven-stage perhaps, then it makes sense, since that is such a ubiquitous layout, uh, such a, a common way to interconnect network devices, let's write a routing protocol just for that environment. Right. That, that's right. what you're saying. That's right. Yeah. And, well, and not just a routing protocol. There are a lot of solutions in the space, but that this is one solution is to write its own routing protocol, which is what Rift is, basically. Yeah, and we looked around before starting Rift, so a lot of ideas have been birthed from OpenR. So not going TLV, but schema encoding is really Rift idea, and I think... Well, open our idea, and think it's a really great idea. We are finally enabling people to innovate. You don't need to go through standardization process to introduce yet another TLV. You change your data structure, you recompile it, you do it for every switch participating in routing domain, you're done. You've got new protocol. How far are we from Rift being a standard of any kind? And, and has anybody actually written code around this where we've got some test implementations So, so there's there? a bit of a... <clears throat> When you talk about the ITF and stand, how long it takes to make it standard levels, there's a lot of misconception <laughs> around this, right? In that it really doesn't matter if it's a – it really doesn't necessarily matter if it's a standard for people to use it or not. It's whether or not people use it. The standards process is more about ubiquity, whether there's implementations that have been done, whether it's been reviewed by the right people, things like this. So to answer your second question first, there's already code in place for Rift. Yes, and so whether or not it's a standard is kind of, it will become a standard eventually, but it's, you know, going to take a long time to get there. Well, okay. So, and we were in a, uh, a meeting, uh, an informal get together of people who were enthusiastic about open source routing protocols. And there was someone in the room there who said they were interested in writing uh, Rift as a contribution. Yeah, for, for free range routing. Free range and that's exactly what we did. So yeah. as you probably know, uh, before every ATF on Saturday and Sunday, we have a hackathon where mm -hmm. people propose their project, and ITF facilitates it by providing table, pizza, power, sometimes laptops. So, the important parts of the pizza, by absolutely. the way. <laughs> so this time specifically, we did Rift Hackathon. We had six people writing code for two days. Significant amount of code had been written. It's going to go to GitHub. It's completely open source. More importantly, we've got people who are going to continue development. Now, as far as this event, IETF 102, where we're, we're sitting here in Montreal recording this, uh, are there any significant developments with Rift or, or things that have been happening leading up to this event? So uh, the base document, Draft Rift, has become working group document. So it's officially an ITF document. It's reasonably stable. There are a lot of interesting additions, relatively small, uh, with regards to how you reduce flooding, new algorithms, how you choose designated flooder, and this kind of stuff, but they're more semantical than fundamental. So fundamentally, Rift is stable, and one can build, create implementation just by reading the draft. So Young model is there, so you could not only run Rift, but use Young to configure it, to get states, to get most of the data you need. Uh, interestingly enough, Rift, when 
configured to run with Redis, exports all its statistics into Redis database, so you could query the database and see full snapshot near real time of the network, whole network. Redis as in uh, the in-memory database, so yes. designed for yes. high yes. performance. So right? yeah. Rift has been designed specifically to work with a database, and we use Redis for this. Got it. Now, it's worth pointing out that Rift is not the only uh, spine and leaf fabric routing protocol proposals that Well, the rest of them, well, there are a couple of others, but the rest of them are typically modifications of IS to IS. Okay. So, like, you are an open Open, fabric. Open fabric is a modification to IS to IS. Tony Lee has a draft out coming out of Arista, which is a modification to IS to IS. Um, Les Ginsberg and Naming have a draft out, which is um, modifications to IS to IS. So most of the rest of them are based or grounded in IS to IS and then modifications thereof. Okay, so just, just educating people that there's not just Rift out there as a proposal, there's other ones that are, I don't know if you call them competing, but they're solving similar problems mm, in a I different way. I don't think way. from the ITF perspective we consider them competing. We consider them solutions for different environments, solutions for different yeah. use cases. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on from uh, Rift and uh, Leaf Spine routing to beer, which is, um, we've talked about it before. It goes with pizza. Up. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's not that kind of beer, right? This is a B-I-E-R, which is um, a... It's still the same thing. It's just a different spelling, but it's the same thing. I think of it as a way to replace multicast. Um, so, so first of all, is it's that... It's a way a, to do multicast. It's, it, it's okay. a way to do multicast, it, but it's really more of a service fabric than it is a multicast solution. It just so happens that multicast was one of the use cases that came out initially as a, a good application for yeah, beer. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember what it stands for. It's bit, uh, bit index. What does beer stand for? Bit index explicit replication. There we go. Bit index explicit replication. Let's, uh, let, so, so again, you, we call it a service fabric at a high level. What is it? And then uh, where are we at with, uh, with beer? Who's, who's interested in it? Who's picking it up? And, uh, and what are the significant developments? So people traditionally afraid of multicast for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Complexity of MVPN as such, especially the transport part of it, being point-to-multipoint RSVPT, MLDP is significant. Right. So, right. Because multicast is painful. Because packet replication is painful. That's the real issue, right? Figuring out where and who should replicate packets and who needs to receive it is a very painful problem. Right. When you get out of the unicast world, you've got one packet that needs to end up in multiple places. How do you solve that problem? That's right. exactly right. Yeah. Okay. We started with as usual discussion somewhere over beer. It would be great <laughs> to build something. <laughs> and pizza, probably. Yeah. <laughs> To build something that is much simpler, requires much simpler control plane, and if not simple, possible to build given hardware would support it. So Hardware that would support it or hardware that could be built to support it? That could be it. built to support it, yes. Got it, okay. So when beer was conceived, there was no hardware to support it since replication within hardware is done differently. Lookups are different as mm-hmm. well. Today, three years later, we've got number of RFCs, not drafts, not internet drafts, but RFCs, so formal specs that an implementation could be built upon. We know there are going to be Juniper, Nakia, and Cisco delivering beer this year on their platforms. So from ITF perspective, it's a big success. It's a new technology. We see a lot of people interested from vanilla MVPN to BAM replication and EVPN to financial replication, yeah. to many, another, many different environments. Another use case is PubSub, 
um, which is a huge use case, like Kafka. Think Kafka and doing PubSub. So you mm-hmm. have one, one publisher and many subscribers. How do you actually manage that process? And packet replication or service fabric is a major problem in that space. So there is discussion going on in the Kafka community about how you would refactor beer or how you would refactor Kafka to work on top of beer. Um, so there are um, lots and lots of different use cases for this type of thing. You talk about Redis DB and, and those types of things. Those could run on top of beer as well very successfully and would be much more efficient. And we were hinted the number of financial institutions who are writing their application to use beer natively from the application itself. Now, the hardware component of this, you, uh, you mentioned that there are some products coming to market that are going to support beer natively in hardware. What does that actually mean for, for an ASIC? Is it, a, is it a big deal? What are we actually needing to add to have beer support? Uh, it's not necessarily only ASIC, it's the fabric, because if you want to do replication efficiently, you do it a number of times within the chassis. If okay. you look at modern routing system, usually it does replication three times. In other words, you've got a completed packet that's already worked its way through the ASIC. Now we need to replicate it. So it doesn't need to, it's not in the ASIC that we're doing this that replication. It's one inbound interface yeah. and multiple outbound. outbounds. But now if you're on a single ASIC box, then it would have to be in the yeah, ASIC, of course, right? But if you have a backplane, that replication would be done on the backplane in some way. But since initial target is really one environment when we have multi if not multi-chassis, at least, multi-line hard routers, you go into fabric-replicated packets. So you've got ingress, you need to replicate towards fabric, you need to replicate from fabric towards ASIC, so outgoing line cards, and it's multi-stage replication. And it's got to do what? Read a, read a header? Read something that's been embedded either in, would it be in the IP header? It's a, yeah, it's a bit index. Yeah. It's a bit index. And so you're taking the bit index and basically using it now, Jeff's probably going to kill me now, but uh, using it basically as an outbound interf- interface list to figure out which interfaces to send it out based on the bit index. So that's actually sort of... That was a of, big sigh, Ethan. Well, I was thinking about retrofitting this to older equipment. So that, I mean, you would got, you be, got, that would not be very easy necessarily. Right. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, There's a number of proposals how to tunnel beer packets through devices that don't support beer. In terms of implementation, it's probably too early to talk. I think yeah. the first target is really greenfield, but eventually there are not that many greenfields. And, and of course, so and of course the beer. number of solutions that are going to be used to yeah. bypass or tunnel through devices that don't support. So mm. once you start tunneling, of course, we'll have beer over MPLS and beer over Jiri and beer over VXLAN and beer, beer over... Someone needs to come up with beer, beer over, over something that says pizza. That, yes, that has right. to happen. No, yeah. no, beer over DNS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> come on, be creative. <laughs> uh, so as far as this, um, have there been very significant things in beer? I mean, it sounds like it's getting to the point of, I don't want to say maturity, because it's still somewhat emergent, but I mean, there's the RFCs are there. That certainly means that the, the code and how it's supposed to work is uh, got something it can be based on, very reliable uh, if the RFCs are there. So are there any significant uh, developments that are worth talking about? Uh, probably most significant one is going from experimental status to standard track for all the documents. Okay. Beer's working group started with really experimental status and was an experiment within ATF to do something fast, faster than before. And I think it's a big success of ATF to develop technology from ground, from, you know, beer over pizza (laughs) to something that's shipping in GA products within three, four years. Yeah, this is one of those things people don't understand about the ITF process. The standards track takes a lot longer 
than experimental track because experimental track is, of course, supposed to be an experiment, whereas standards track is supposed to be something that's interoperable. You have at least two implementations that interoperate with each other. The Yang doctors have looked at it. Yes, we have Yang doctors in yes, the yes. And we have security people who have looked at it and said, you have good encryption or you don't, or you're using HMAC correctly or whatever the case might be. So there's a lot of process that goes into a standards document, whereas with experimental, you know, it's out there. It's for people to try and see if it works. And if it succeeds, then we move into the standards process. When you had said, Jeff, a little earlier that there was a lot of RFCs that have been built around this that are standards, my, my eyebrows went. I was like, oh, wait a minute. It seems like it was just a year ago or so that I was just first hearing about beer and what it was. And it was more of a nifty idea as opposed to now we've really moved it along quickly. So yeah, You even created T-shirts with <laughs> beer RFC number. I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. All right, so we talked about Rift. Uh, we talked about beer. And let's move along to something else that uh, the first time I heard about it was at this event uh, because of you, Russ, uh, Preferred Path Routing. So I know this is really just an idea that we want to introduce. Um, this is kind of a new new problem space. I was hoping we could talk about what the problem is and then what uh, how Preferred Path Routing is thinking about solving that. So the problem is... We said segment routing will remove state from the network. However, we didn't say where it's going to go, and it's going into the packet. So remove state from. So so with segment routing, we are. It's kind of a form of traffic engineering. We are telling the packet what path to take. The the best the best version of segment routing is explorers and source based routing in token ring. Wow, going (laughs) back in time right there. So <laughs> inevitably, size of packet is going to grow. Not the packet, the header itself. Yeah, the header. Is because the grow. way it's going to route through the network is now yeah. encoded in the packet. Right. Because the in is MPLS, the source is doing the routing. Yes. In MPLS case, we are going to use more labels, and in uh, IPv6 case, we are going to use IPv6 extent headers that are large. And we've done a show audience on uh, segment routing v6. It's if you search for that, if you're interested in that, it's in there. Anyway, if you want more information, okay. Yeah. So not surprisingly, a lot of mostly merchant silicon they are very limited in terms of processing and uh, label stack depth. Vendor silicon is better, but it's more expensive, and you're still limited. So, so limited is in you can only put in so many instructions into that header. You can to, only to, push so many labels. Yeah, and, and and the merchant silicon problem doesn't just hit data centers, which is what your listeners are probably thinking immediately. So they're thinking data center fabrics, but the reality is we're talking five G as well. We're talking you know you have some cell tower and it's not going to deploy top end silicon in every cell in every cell tower you have in the world. You're going to deploy merchant silicon because that's what you can do. And home devices and you know home gateways and stuff like that are all going to be merchant silicon. So this merchant silicon problem is a very broad problem. It's not just like data center fabric type hmm. issue. So uh, being quite involved on building boxes part of my life. So we've built a solution or framework called MLD. There are a number of drafts that are to become RFC soon, talking about the problem, so maximum label stack depth supported by devices, how you signal it, what you do with it, how you mitigate it potentially. However, with all the clever techniques, you could mitigate it to a point, because at some point you, would, you need to put enough information to the packet to traverse the network. So what the past preferred routing is trying to do is not to encode all this information into the packet at ingress, but to advertise the past characteristics from the device itself. So we are bringing state 
back in the control plane. Back into the network, but only to provide better way to encode packets, so reduce the amount of headers needed. There's still a header needed. I think I was looking at a draft oh, there for... There is, but now you encode semantics of whole paths within one or two labels. You don't do it label per label. You can actually do this with plain IPv6 if you really want to, with no additional headers. It is possible to do PPR with plain IPv6. But what you're doing in this case is you're actually pushing all the state into the forwarding table on each device. So by, by adding the headers in IPv6, you can mix up which part of the state you put in the IPv6 packet and which part you put in the forwarding table. So no, it allows not, you... I mean, aren't we moving a resource problem from the, the header where the hardware just can't, can't read a label, you know, mm-hmm. stack of labels that's too deep? back into, now we've moved it back so into... Uh, into the I, think, I, th- I think we are looking into golden medium to yeah, separate right, 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 right. what Trying goes to make into data plane, what's going into control plane. Right. And we have layering in network for a reason. We mm. have overlays for a reason. So when some people start pushing everything into data plane, eventually stuff breaks. So it, now it feels like not everybody's going to know everything. We'll have some amount of information in the uh, the, the packet header in this theoretical uh, preferred path routing header. We'll have other information in the data plane itself. And between the two, we'll have enough resources to handle it. And we can still have our full uh, segment route, you know, that, that path that's defined. Uh, all uh, the we've way got a number of interesting ongoing discussion on the mailing list about how better is it to introduce additional state back into the network versus, you know, building larger packets. And if you transport video, maybe... It's not such a big problem. If you go to 5G when your packets are 70 bytes and you push additional yeah, 200% push. of overhead and <laughs> yeah, right. You probably. Got a, right, a tiny little payload and a massive header. Yeah. yeah. That's. yeah. So I, I think different use cases will require different solutions, and this is one of them. Now, when I was thinking about the solution, reading some of the drafts, what popped into my head was uh, NSH, Network Service Header. Different problem, uh, different solution, but somewhat similar. There's some parallels. How does PPR, I mean, do you think it's very different from network service header? Yeah, it's completely different. So network service header is meant to provide enough data to service chain packet between different service functions. And each node along the way has to understand that header and be able to write things and read the metadata. So So actually, if you look at number of presentations today at MPLS Working Group, probably half of them were about SFC, and MPLS. Hmm. SFC in MPLS, MPLS in SFC, mm-hmm. and how the stuff works together. So there are a number of drafts. Some of them are competing. Some of them provide complementary solutions. But we do realize that most networks today are MPLS enabled. SFC is finally, or NSH is finally getting implemented. It's coming on Broadcom. Mm-hmm. It's coming everywhere. So we need to make them work together. But again, they're different enough that there's no way I can take PPR and NSH and, and, and marry those two or leverage what we've learned from NSH well, and uh, make that work as, for PPR. It would be the same thing as leveraging MPLS or, or service chaining for NSH. You would, it's not the same thing, but you could. You, yeah, you, I guess you would end up with that header problem again. Yeah, theoretically, yeah. you could. The point being, uh, we are flooding the information, right? It's property of and links at IGP, you flood all the information. So you should try to reduce the amount of information that you flood to devices that's not interested in it. Hmm. And there is a proposal to use BGP control plane for NSH, surprisingly. I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's amazing. And it's actually 
it's reasonably good, and I think we are going to see good progress in this direction. And uh, I still, I still think we could just replace Oracle and RabbitMQ and ZeroMQ and everything else with BGP and just be done with it. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> Stop saying these things. <laughs> so, and the solution is widely supported by ITF and actually implementers. I assume we will see some implementations next year doing that. Okay. Okay, new topic then. Um, wait, what? are you going to propose a new AF for packet pushers over BGP? I am not. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely not going to do that. <laughs> I, think, I think we should write an RFC for that. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, SD-WAN. So now SD-WAN is, uh, is something we've covered very heavily on packet pushers. Lots of vendors with lots of solutions. And in fact, I keep just this week, I learned about two new ones, uh, new and vendors they, And they there. just keep throwing new stuff at BGP and all the routing protocols and making up their own extensions. And it's making a mess. <laughs> You're still talking about BGP. We've moved on. Come with me. Come with me, Russ. We're talking about SD-WAN now. But SD-WAN is talking about BGP. Uh, well, yes, from a certain point of view, you can get there. Yes. Now, okay. So, again, all these vendors, all these products, big market, everyone's very interested in SD-WAN. It solves a lot of problems for a lot of companies. Um, but, uh, Jeff, I know you've been involved in a working group that's trying to get some standards built around this. Is that right? Correct. So if you look at SD-1, it's a young market and uh, jungle from technology <laughs> jungle. perspective. <laughs> I like that so, term. <laughs> yeah, initially deployed with a single administrative entity. So you could do whatever you like because all the stuff is yours and obviously your stuff is interrupted with your stuff. Since market is maturing, finally there are some people who want to use two vendors for a variety of reasons. There are mergers, acquisitions, and... We see people trying to get two SD-1 vendors to work together, and <laughs> it doesn't, as simple as it is. No vendor can interrupt with any other vendor. And that three planes, you know, management, control, and data plane, there is no interoperability on any of them. Right, which, you know, if you look at the architectures, a lot of the architectures are very similar with these vendors, but then as soon as you get under the hood, look at specific capabilities that a certain vendor built for their customer and their target market, it begins to depart radically, and they're really different under the hood, even though the fundamentals, and if you just look at that, that slide that shows you the architecture with all the pretty icons, oh, it's the same. No, not the same, not the same at all. So, so Jeff, what, uh, what are you guys proposing uh, as far as standards? So uh, as part of my daily job, I also participate in ONUG work when OSI working group is actually working on SD-1. And uh, this is also a working group where consumers of SD-1, so large banks, enterprises, come and talk about what they would like to see. So some time ago, we started to think about how do we represent a service? Because from high level, Services look pretty much the same. I mm. want connectivity. It has to be secure. It has to understand what my applications need. And potentially, I should be able to break out if I go to public cloud. So it sounds easy and logical. However, if you think you could do the same on the two different vendors and achieve the same result, you're wrong. You can't. We started to think about building 
APIs that would abstract the difference between vendors. I was just thinking I know where we were going. <laughs> Abstraction layer, okay. Absolutely. So you could solve any problem with additional That's layer right. of Remember, That's I was right. going to say, RFC, what, what rule is that? RFC 1925, what rule oh. is that? I remember, it's like 6 or 6A, I think. That's a beautiful rule. <laughs> <laughs> RFC 1925 yeah. is, is probably the best RFC ever written. Sorry. So we started building some APIs, and eventually you start thinking you really need to build a data model where APIs represent the data. So we started to think young. A few months ago, we started to actually write code. Young expertise is in ATF. It's what we do here. And non-protocol-related stuff in routing areas, mostly done in routing working group, which I have a pleasure to co-chair. So it was very logical for me to think, Let's try to do it in ITF. I discussed it with on the chairs, and uh, everybody said, sure, we want help. So the idea is to have kickoff meeting at routing working group meeting the Thursday. I think I've also advertised it on LinkedIn and provide all the links to the meeting. We are going to have a number of presentations talking about problem space. We'll also have presentation by Onuk, so representing Onuk, talking about what we are trying to achieve, and we are talking specifically about management plane here. So we want to have a data model that would represent abstracted service that could be instantiated by particular domain. So we are not trying to look into you're using IPsec over VXLAN over ATM yeah. versus you're using VXLAN over something else. It, it sounds more like unifying the management Absolutely. plane so that I... Okay, so let's say it's that merger and acquisition scenario. Exactly. So if, if I want connectivity a, between two branches, it needs to be secured. We don't really care how you do IPsec. As long as you understand it has to be connected, we need to have the reachability, and you need to figure out how to exchange keys and you know, do all the magic that the one does. So if the two controllers from the two diverse SD-WAN vendors support the API that's been written, you could have a, a, a higher-level controller that communicates Absolutely. policy down to those two controllers that implement them in whatever their proprietary ways are, but you've abstracted it all way high at the management level so that, again, you know what the result is that you want. You don't really care about the details of the implementation. Absolutely. You're just pushing out, a you know, basically creating an API, a northbound layer that... Um, let you communicate that in a, in a standardized way. So the beauty of Young in general, you don't really need to know Young. There are enough tools and open source tools. So YDK mm -hmm. comes to mind, which could take Young models and input and auto-generate code, Python, C++, Go. There are six or seven different programming languages. So you just use binding and you program towards those APIs. So you don't need to know Young to consume those APIs. And then it would just be up to the vendors to say, yeah, we support that. And if they got customers driving them that want that standard, that interoperability between you know, multiple vendors, they can lean on their vendors to support that. And, and well, how far along is this? I mean, it sounds like this is fairly new. So we are just starting. Uh, there's a significant amount of interest for this work mm -hmm. on both consumer side as well as vendors. And often vendors want some formal reference point, which in a lot of cases is ITF document. So every vendor could look into it and implement it, and if something doesn't work, they know who to point to, right? So it's important that this work is done in ATF. Uh, there's also some uh, talks with MEF, some other SDOs who are working on similar problems, and uh, I think our work could be leveraged by all of them. Because again, expertise lives in ATF. Lifecycle management, maybe MEF. Some other ways of managing devices 
could be something else. So by building this logic here, we would provide ways to other organizations, other SDOs to take it and build upon. We are starting with service plane, so the management plane. If you look under the hood, a lot of people using BGP. Yes. Yeah, well, Not imagine, everybody. Some, imagine Some that. major notable yeah. exceptions, but yeah. Including company I'm working for. Yes. <laughs> so next step would be to look into all the proprietary extensions to BGP. Maybe choose one or two and standardize them. So if I'm a new player in SD1 and I want to interrupt with someone else, I would know what to do, how to extend my protocols. Uh, extending control plane seems logical step. Working on data plane, I think we are very, very far away. And this is where most of the innovation is happening today. It's definitely not the BGP part. So that brings us to SD-WAN, and uh, we're coming up in the time where you two guys have to run off to some other things, I think. But, uh, but Jeff, there's one more topic you wanted to bring. You've been mentioning Yang, and you wanted to get specifically into some uh, Yang-related updates. So there's a lot of work we've been doing in the routing working group on Yang, not only helping other working group to do parts that are outside of their scope. For example, we are working on policies that are used by IGPs, BGP, so anytime you need to redistribute one protocol into another, you need a policy in between to say, what are you distributing? How is it going to look into receiving protocol? We will also create a number of RFCs that define common data types. So you don't need to reinvent every time you're on stuff. You just use one and you refer it. So we had pretty good discussion on the state and progress. And there are many comments about it's all beautiful. We don't know how to use this stuff. So as part of kind of my ITF work, I go to public venues such as Nanoc, Enoch, Ripe, and I talk about ITF. So I'm trying to get operators more involved. And people love Young. It's it's really what they wanted for twenty years. Maybe they didn't know, but they did. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you're doing some evangelization of Yang yeah. with some of the operators. I mean open config Yang models, which are I, I, I think it's fair to say they're distinct from IETF models. I know there's some overlap there, but uh, but those seem to have gotten a lot of uh, uptake and are popular. IETF Yang models, less so. Uh, I haven't talked to Benoit for a while, but I know uh, there was an effort to come up with a universal schema for all the Yang models that are out there and try to get them into a global index and so on. Um, so this has happened. There is a Yang Explorer that has all the Yang models, shows all the relationship between them. But the point being, people mostly complain, we don't know how to use this stuff. It looks great, and I know this is SPF data model, this is BGP, but my server is usually VPN on top of OSPF right. network, on top of MPLS, on top of IP. How do I make all this stuff work? Mm. So there's some amount of tooling around. Some of the stuff has been open sourced by Google as part of open config. Some people open source, however, definitely not enough. And the biggest problem we actually don't know whether data models we produce as ATF are going to work. In case of open config, most of the stuff that is published is taken into production by Google. So they actually know stuff is working. It's, it's being fixed and right. I mean, very rapid yeah. development cycle. The point you're making in the IETF models that you're building, um, you don't know that you're going to work in the sense that you don't know that you've covered every use case. You don't know that of the way you've well, built the data structures. Well, and you don't, and you don't necessarily, necessarily know... 
every vendor has checked them to make sure that this is a uint versus this is an a short end this is a that, that, right. that everything is exactly the way every vendor would like it to be so therefore when you go to implement it you realize oh no but you know so and so vendor uses a an unsigned int over there or a string instead of that so you've got to merge or you've got to make that into a union or something like that so i would so say when you look into particular data model OSPF data model, there's definitely enough know-how in SPF working group how to build this stuff. Yeah. Because most people who participate in working group, they're writing code yep. for OSPF, right? But when you start building a service where OSPF is just one of the layers, suddenly things don't come together. So yeah. this part is completely missing. And we decided to build informal design team. And that's what we often do in ITF to achieve faster results and actually write code tooling around Young that would help people to build, to validate, and to make Young actually useful, not just some abstract concept of data models that's out there, but I don't know what to do with it. I, I like the the term of an informal group because it sounds like a, like a spin-out. Well, we can't make you work inside well, the company because we've in, got too many processes. We'll spin you out. Well, in reality, a lot of what goes on at the ITF is building those kinds of little for, informal groups of people who are working together kind of cross-company yeah, again, which which would be the point of actually physically getting together three right. times a year. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah, and it means that you do it besides your daily job, right? So you right. do it in the evening. So it's really your personal effort to do something beyond what you do normally. And we know the people. We know people who know how to write code. We know people who are actually going to be useful in this. And in routing working group specifically, we do it all the time. We did it for uh, young common types. It was delivered as part of uh, young design team. We did OM work. So it's normal in well-known practice in routing working group, and it's proven to be very successful. So if I'm an operator, if I'm an end user and I'm caring about Yang from the IETF, is there any uh, center point of information or, or something I should be looking uh, for or into? Isn't there a Yang website besides OpenComp? Yeah, absolutely. There is a Yang catalog yeah, built Yang by catalog, Benoit, right. and we use ITF Hackathon to actually build it properly. Right. Mm -hmm. It has models not only from ITF, but from OpenConfig, Open from uh, IEEE, from right. MEF, and it also shows you dependencies between them, so how one model imports another one, the relationship between them. So it's a good place to start. Uh, I think we are working on educational stuff. There's not much, unfortunately. There's some old presentations by TLF and yeah, stuff, but, but they're like lot, five years old, but, yes. But they're older, yeah, there's not much yeah. new. So I'll keep you updated on what's going on in design team, and hopefully you'll build something useful for people. That'd be great. That'd be great. Okay, well, I know uh, Jeff and Russ, you guys have a working group to be heading off to fairly soon, so let's wrap up this recording here today. And uh, thank you for listening to the Packet Pushers today. You can find the show notes for this episode in your podcatcher, and if you visit packetpushers.net, you can discover over 1,000 other episodes from across our podcast network for networking and infrastructure professionals along with our community blog and news feeds. Tweet at Packet Pushers, follow us on LinkedIn, rate us on Apple Podcasts, and become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.